we're working. How's everyone doing? Good. Uh, thank you for coming in today. It was a lovely day. I thought most people would be down walking on the beach. Uh, not to say that I'd be down walking on the beach if I didn't have to preach to you this morning, but it's just one of those days. Uh, this morning we're in part two of a series in the book of Colossians. And uh, last Sunday we had a look at uh, the prayer of Paul and Timothy that they had been praying over the Colossian Christians and over the church in Colossae. And we took away from it uh, three important things from that prayer in chapter one. Uh, The importance of praying for the knowledge and the will of God, for wisdom and for spiritual understanding. Uh, We took away from it the importance to act, to please God in obedience, uh, not in working for his approval, but in obedience to who he is and what he's done, being effective for him as we grow in him. And we also took away last week how important uh, it is for us to realize that we need the power of God to do those things. And so Paul in chapter one uh, is encouraging the church uh, in their faith. He's reminding them of the supremacy of Jesus, of all that Jesus has done. And so um, If you missed that part of our message, as we said in the notices, you'll find it on uh, our podcasts or on our church app. Uh, But this morning, we're going to be moving on to chapter two. So uh, last week, throughout the week, when Debbie and I were talking about the message, she said, I could have done three messages on the message I gave you last week, because I think I had three points in every point of the message. And... uh, Uh, And I'm afraid this morning's not much better, uh, because like I mentioned, once you start diving into this stuff, there's kind of a lot to get into. But uh, I I promise you, I got the word countdown, so we will be a lot quicker this morning than we were uh, last week. But we're in chapter 2 this morning, and in verses 6 through uh, to 15, really, but focusing on 6 through to 11, where Paul further highlights uh, the significance of Jesus and uh, the sacrifice that Jesus made. Um, while warning the Colossian Christians not to be taken by the deceptive arguments of the false teachers who are in that time. One of the reasons Paul was writing to the Colossians was to address the false teaching that was going on uh, in the area at that time. Uh, False teachers whose claims looked attractive but were uh, merely tricks, uh, whose speaking sounded like they were speaking truth when they were not. They looked attractive, but they were tricks, They sounded like they were speaking the truth, but they were speaking lies. Uh, And in this chapter, Paul emphasizes, uh, again, how Christ, as Debbie just mentioned in communion, how Christ accomplished everything that we need to be justified before God. Grab a hold of that for a minute. Christ has already done everything that you need to be justified before God. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to go out and earn it. There is nothing that you can do to receive it. Jesus has done it all for us. Amen? Isn't that an incredible uh, promise to live in? And so as a result, um, there's, no, there's no reason for uh, the believers, Paul's telling them, there's no reason for them to go and pursue or to look out for uh, you know, shallow kind of religious leaders to follow or false teachings to kind of adhere to because we have Jesus who was the real substance that they should follow, and by extension, as the church who we should follow. And so let's just pray as we get into uh, this morning's uh, message. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you, Lord, that your word is truth. We thank you for Jesus, who was the living truth and the living example for us to follow. And Father God, we thank you, Lord, that your word is alive for us even today. Father God, that these words can speak into our lives, speak into our needs, and speak into all that is going on in our lives. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that, uh, Lord, that you would just be with me as I speak from your word. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would multiply this morning's message. Father, for every individual that is in this room, God, by your spirit, may they receive what it is that you want them to hear this morning and not what's coming out of my mouth. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning's passage in Colossians 2, uh, verses 6 to 15, explains uh, the nature of salvation and that those who, are put, who have put their faith in Christ are spiritually, uh, the passage says, spiritually circumcised. What it's talking about is being spiritually cleansed and having uh, the flesh cut away from our lives spiritually. It's it, He's highlighting in this uh, chapter that we are identified with God through our faith in Jesus. He's saying to the Colossian church, you are identified as being with God because of your faith in Jesus. A faith that came through an act uh, of love, as we've heard of again this morning. Man, isn't it cool that when we talk about our God, that he's a God of love? An act that came, uh, a faith that comes through an act of love by God, which frees us from the eternal penalty of sin. We spoke about that last week, that we, we're not just uh, free from our sin. It's not that Jesus came and covered our sin. Jesus, when he, he saved us, he set us apart and took us out of it. Restores, uh, a faith that restores our relationship with him and defeats the evil fighting against us. I don't know about you, but I, I know I need God's help when there are demons that are battling in my life. And uh, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus this morning, I'm going to give the opportunity for you to receive him at the end of this message after you've heard a little bit more about who he is. And so Paul starts out the message, uh, the passage in verse 6. Colossians 2 verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And in this brief verse, uh, Paul makes a pretty big statement uh, to all the Christians that are in uh, Colossae. A statement about believers walking with Christ. He's implying that those who have, who have accepted Jesus, who have accepted a life with him, ought to walk, ought to live, and ought to think by faith. Not by feelings, not by coercion, not by some other understanding, but we ought to walk, to live, and to think by faith. And we touched on that a little bit uh, last week when we talked about walking in the knowledge of God in order to walk in the will of God. And so our walk must be grounded in Him and therefore uh, rooted in faith in Him and who He is and not in us. Just as our salvation is rooted in Christ so too our walk has to be. Otherwise, our walk, our, our spiritual walk, our spiritual journey is just going to be based on human performance, 
It's going to be based on uh, acceptance of what other people say. It's going to be based on other people's expectations. And when we have the sort of faith walk that is, is based on anything other than Jesus, it is destined to fail. Destined to fail. And so though um, Paul lived a very motivated Christian life, he knew uh, that faith was the only way to please God. Scripture tells us that without faith, we can't please God. And you know, there are certain works that we can uh, get involved with. There are certain works that people can be involved with uh, without faith that they can accomplish in their lives, uh, even for uh, a non-Christian there are works that we can do that seem to give the appearance of success, seem to give the appearance of doing well. But as a person who has received Christ as our Lord, our walk should be lived by faith and not by what is seen. It's by faith and not by sight. And that is the kind of work uh, that leads to good works. It's the kind of faith that leads to good works, works of love, works of compassion, works of grace, works inspired by Christ and what he has done for us. Amen. And so in verse 6, Paul kind of starts straight out the bat. And he says, if you've received Christ, if you've received Jesus, then you ought to walk in him. And then Paul continues in Colossians 2 verse 7, says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. And so our first point this morning is to be rooted, built up, and established in him. Be rooted, built up, and established in him. In this verse, Paul provides three areas or three, uh, I guess, uh, images uh, that are important for walking in faith. The first is to be rooted in Christ. The idea here is the idea of a tree having its roots firmly planted in the ground. Roots that strengthen it, roots from, it, from which it gets uh, its source of life to grow. And so from uh, the roots, the tree receives everything it needs. From the roots, the tree has is, is got, got a base uh, from which it's able to kind of stand through all the weather, from which it's able to weather storms. It's got a base that is planted deep, uh, from which it's able to uh, kind of survive and withstand uh, stormy weather that kind of comes its way. And the believers here, Paul is, uh, I believe, saying their roots are in Jesus. In the same way that a tree finds its roots kind of firmly planted in the ground, in the same way that a tree is fed from its roots up. Our roots are in Christ, not any other source. Just from Jesus. No other person, no other organization, no other ideology, no other um, movement, but firmly placed in Jesus. And so that's what uh, Paul is. Uh, that's what Paul is kind of instructing the Colossian church here, and he's he's instructing them of this because, again, as I said, he is speaking into a, a church that has been littered with false teaching. It has been littered with uh, teachers 
who are trying to get people to work in a certain way to earn their salvation in Christ. Secondly, uh, the believers to be built up in Christ. And so this building or architecture metaphor is, is speaking of uh, a building that is constructed uh, by the power of the Spirit. Being built up by the power of God, by the power that is in Jesus. That power is, in a sense, the power of truth. Being built up in God's truth. Being built up in Christ. Because just as Christ can save a person, uh, and as Christ is the only way that a person is saved, only through Jesus can a person be truly built up and matured in their Christ-likeness. What better way to become like someone than to follow the someone? It's a bit hard to do when you're following someone who's trying to say something about someone who they don't really know anything about. Be built up in Christ as you're rooted in him. And then the third thing that Paul mentions in this verse is to be established in the faith. And here, Paul is using, a, uh, in a sense, a legal metaphor that's referring to maturity, that's referring to growth. And for us, I believe it's, it's referring to a growth of our conviction in our faith. It's referring to having something firmly decided in your life. Being established in Jesus is about having firmly decided on your faith in Jesus in a way that's not going to be shaken, in a way that you're not going to question when things get a little bit hard, when things are in a bit of chaos, when everything's confusing, when there's a little bit of oppression coming in, when there's a bit of doubt coming in. It's having an established relationship with Jesus that will not be shaken by those things. You know, when I was kind of going through these images in, in this area uh, of the parable, uh, of, of the message, it reminded me of a parable that Jesus uh, taught. And I, it probably reminded you of the same parable that Jesus spoke of when he spoke of two men building a house, one building his house on sand and the other one building it on a firm foundation, building his house on a rock. That's what came to mind. And so our first point this morning is about having a Christian walk that is built up from the roots, which is uh, in Christ, that is firmly established in Jesus. So much so uh, that when the world is kind of shaking around you, and there's a bit of shaking going on around the world today, but when your personal world is kind of shaking around you as well, when things just don't seem like they're going very well and it doesn't look like there's going to be an end uh, to, to all the struggle and the strife. It's having uh, that firm establishment in Jesus, rooted in him, so much so that he is your anchor through it all. That he is your firm foundation. That he is your solid rock. And in knowing that, you can see all the stuff coming to you and you can stand confident of who you are and whose you are in Jesus. Amen. Paul continues on in verse 8. 
Colossians 2 verse 8, he says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. There's the men, there's the world, and then there's Christ. And Paul is saying, be careful what you're listening to, that you're not deceived by the men, that you're not deceived by the world, who might look good, who might sound righteous, who might sound like it's all okay, but are not Christ. You know, in the prior verse, Paul kind of focuses on, because uh, that all sounds pretty gloomy, doesn't it? Um, in the prior verse, Paul is kind of focusing on a really a positive depiction of the Colossians and, and, and the church there. He's kind of going, man, you guys are cool. Your faith is cool. I've heard about your faith. I'm praying for these things because we've heard about the good things that you're doing. Um, speaking about their faithfulness. And then here, he kind of transitions into this warning. And the warning uh, is really against false teaching. In this context, Paul's con- Paul is condemning philosophy, which is based on, uh, get this, he is condemning philosophy, which is based on anti-Christian principles. And so in verse 4, he's kind of referring to these arguments as deceptive. And in the Greek term that's used here, it implies uh, a trickery or um, a trickery or a cheating. And so the issue here is not that uh, there's no critical thinking. The issue here is not uh, that people aren't thinking about what's going on, that people don't uh, don't kind of know what's going on. The issue is the self-deluding individuals whose worldly philosophical tricks and ideas are trying. To mislead people. Trying to mislead people. The self-deluding individuals who are trying to mislead people from what? From God's truth. We spoke about truth last Sunday. You know, in 2 Timothy 3, verses 6 to 7, it describes people, uh, such people like this. It's describing these uh, false teachers like this. They are the kind who worm their way into the home and gain control over gullible women. And you can put men, families, children, anybody in there. Who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of truth. Always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. You know, the false teachers of Colossae were using false teachings and these methods to attack Christianity, to attack Christ. Paul refers to it as empty deceit. 
which includes a whole lot of uh, hollow rhetoric. It includes lies. It includes um, out, outright deceit, half-truths. And the notion that Paul's kind of get, trying to get through to the Colossian church here is that uh, if a person kind of starts from a blatant anti spiritual standpoint, they are most likely going to come to an anti-spiritual conclusion. Man, Paul's going hard on this church in Colossae. He's kind of really trying to get his finger on the pulse of something that's going on at that time. If a person starts from a blatantly anti-spiritual standpoint, they are going to come to an anti-spiritual conclusion. This again reminds us of the fallen human wisdom that is and can be at odds with God's truth and with Christ's teaching. Human wisdom that is fallible. The other thing Paul's referring to here is human traditions. You know, here he's reminding the reader that simply because an idea is preferred, simply because an idea is popular, simply because an idea has history or it's the way that things have always been done, it does not make it true. And the Greek phrase that's used here uh, in this passage is implying the laws of the land, it's implying the rules, it's implying uh, the regulations that are handed down through humanity. And here's my challenge for all of us this morning. The church is encountering this kind of opposition even today. The church is encountering these kind of ideologies even today today. We're encountering these challenges from the secular world, which is why it's so important that we are rooted and established in Jesus. Amen. How are we all going? Well, it's a bit heavier this morning, isn't it? It's all right. I think it gets a bit lighter as we go on. Can't promise you anything, but we'll see. So, but man, that was only two verses. Did we only get through two verses? I think two verses. You're, do, you're all doing well, all right? Just let me, you're all doing great. Paul goes on in Colossians 2 verse 9. He says, for in him dwells all the fullness of God bodily. That's cool. Man, this is one of those verses that you kind of just read through and then you just keep going reading. You kind of, oh yeah, that's cool. And then you just kind of keep going. But let, us, let me unpack this for us today in our second point, which is simply this. Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead. Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead. The Godhead being the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul in this verse proclaims the fact that God became man in bodily form through Jesus. Speaking of Jesus, Paul closely imitates the phrase that he used uh, a little bit further back in uh, Colossians 1 verse 19. So in chapter 1, uh, we talked about Jesus and his connection uh, there. The connection in chapter 1 was from reconciliation with God through the blood of Jesus. 
So in chapter 1, uh, Paul, Paul has kind of got this uh, reference of Jesus, and it's, it's relating to reconciliation with God through Jesus. That's the connection between Jesus, man, and God in chapter 1. In chapter 2, it, it, the contrast is between the importance of the deception of man and the wisdom of God. The deception of humanity, the, the, the nature of humanity and its lies, and the wisdom of God. Uh, Paul's trying to remind us that his ways are higher than our ways. That God's ways are better and are stronger than human uh, ideas and human pursuits. And so with that, Paul is emphasizing here uh, an aspect of Jesus' humanity. And in addressing some of the false teachers that they've got in uh, Colossians at that time, Jesus is teaching uh, that Jesus, uh, that I got this the wrong way around, isn't it? Paul is teaching that Jesus is fully man and fully God, that Jesus was divine, because some teachers at the time were teaching that uh, Jesus is fully divine, but Jesus is not fully human. So this is what Paul is addressing uh, in this verse. And though, um, you know, though modern specters still, still argue uh, the belief in Jesus' deity, Paul clearly believed as he writes this that Jesus is in fact fully God and is fully man. He believed that as he was writing this around uh, A.D. 60. You know, the teaching of Christ's divinity that Paul received, Paul tells us he received from the apostles, from Jesus' apostles at the time of his conversion, which occurred uh, about 300 uh, years after uh, the resurrection. So the doctrine of Jesus' deity is not something that uh, was later kind of added. It's not something that man sat down and, and kind of worked out when... Uh, when they were working out where to put the chapters in the Bible and the verses in the Bible, uh, Paul had decided it, and Paul was convinced of it, uh, even as he uh, was writing this. And so here in verse 9, Paul tells us that he is the fullness of God. Jesus is the fullness of God in bodily form. And so we can be confident in our belief of who Jesus is, in the fullness of the Godhead. And finally this morning in Colossians 2 verse 10, because of this fact that Jesus is fully God and that Jesus is fully man, Paul declares one of the greatest truths about the life of the believer. That you are complete in Him. This is where it all leads to. Everything that Jesus has done, everything that Paul is talking about, the, the, the letter to the Colossians leads ultimately to the conclusion that Jesus is supreme and that as Paul writes here, that you are complete in Jesus. Amen? Who is the head of all principality 
and power. And that brings us to our final point this morning, which is a proclamation that I believe maybe some of us need to declare and proclaim over our life this morning. That I am in Christ complete. If you're sitting here and you feel that you lack, if you're sitting here and you feel that you're not worthy, if you're sitting here that you, and, and you feel that you're not good enough, there is the one who has, who has renewed us, who has restored us, and who has reconciled, on us, reconciled us to full completeness. And his name is Jesus. And because of all that and because of what he's done, we can stand confidently and say that I am in Christ complete. Hallelujah. And so Paul's kind of continuing this thought that he began in verse 9, just on the wholeness and the deity of Jesus and how that dwells in Jesus. You know, like, like the Trinity when it comes to God as one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is one person with two natures. He's fully man, and he's fully God. He has a human nature, and he has a God nature. And that very nature of Jesus connects the believer to God the Father. Think about that. We are separated from God because of sin. In order for a gap to be bridged between man who is sinful, who is broken, and God, there had to be someone who was both man and both, both man and God. Who was the way? And that person is Jesus. He serves as the connection between the believer and God the Father. Because he is the way, because he is the truth, and because he is life. He's the only way to salvation. And he's the only one who can set us free. And so as, as Paul's kind of closing it out, he's again, it, it all comes back to Jesus. He's re-emphasizing the supremacy of Jesus and emphasizes that Christ has authority to forgive sin, to heal, and to cast out demons. That's the Jesus we serve. Matthew 9 verse 6, Jesus says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. And he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Christ has authority to forgive sin, to heal, and to cast out demons. Paul emphasized that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. Something which Jesus, which Jesus stated again in Matthew, 18 verse, uh, Matthew 28, verse 18. 
All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's the Christ that we serve. And then Paul writes in Ephesians 1, verse 21, that Christ is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And the awesome thing is that because he has the authority to forgive, heal, restore, and renew, because he has the authority over all of heaven and all of earth, because he is high above all else, because he has promised to be with you and in you, with me and in me, to hear us, to provide for us, to comfort us, and to deliver us, we are in Christ complete. In Christ complete. What an incredible story. And so as we quickly uh, unpack the end of this passage, verses 11 through to 15, we find Paul speaking to the work of Christ's redemption and salvation through Jesus. And you know, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with God, if you've not invited Jesus to come in and be the Lord of your life, If you're not following him, walking with him, then I want to give you the opportunity to pray a prayer this morning, just inviting him to come. It's nothing that I do. There's no man can offer this, no man can give this to you. It comes from God alone. But if you open your heart to God and invite Jesus in, God can move in your life. So I'm going to give you the opportunity in a second just to pray a prayer inviting Jesus to come because Jesus brought the removal of sin. He brought the removal of our sinful nature in the flesh. He brought it, uh, the removal of that sin from the human heart. And this is the new covenant of Jesus. Now in chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says that he is cut our sin away and so there is no need for human intervention or work in verse 12 and 13 Paul writes that we've been buried with him in baptism and been made alive again with him we've been made alive again with Jesus and having had our sin nailed to the cross he writes in verse 14 He follows up in verse 15 with a declaration of faith. Having had our sin nailed to the cross, Jesus has disarmed every principality and power over your life. He is triumphant and victorious over evil. And we receive this forgiveness We receive that spirit of power when we walk humbly, faithfully, and in obedience with Christ. And so if you'd like to invite him into your heart this morning, maybe you're listening on the recording and you want to give 
Jesus the opportunity to touch you and reach down to you. And I want you to pray this simple prayer while every eye is closed and every head is bowed. Just pray, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and need your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins and I want to turn from my sins. I now invite you to come into my heart and into my life. I want to trust and follow you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, just as the worship team comes, if you prayed that prayer this morning or if you're listening online and you prayed that prayer, uh, we want you just to get in touch with us. Uh, let me know that you prayed that prayer. I'd love to pray with you and uh, get your details. We have a gift that we'd love to give you as a church uh, just to help you start on that journey in your walk with Christ. Uh, but if you are listening online and you want to get in touch with us, info at shoreelam.org.nz uh, is the email to reach us on. Um, but why don't we just pray and I'll uh, just bless you this morning as we come to our closing song. Uh, let's stand. <laughs> Father, we just thank you again that you are here. God, we thank you that your spirit is moving in this place. Father, we thank you, Lord, that uh, Lord, that you are omnipresent. Father God, that you are everywhere present. We thank you that as we go from this place, God, your spirit can continue to speak to us. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would, uh, Father, just uh, again, just multiply this message for each individual. Father, allow those things which you would have stick in our lives to bring transformation in our hearts. Lord, allow those things to stick. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you will just be with uh, every single person uh, and as we continue to walk and journey with you. Father, that you'll continue to, that you'll just speak to us clearly, that we'd hear your voice. Father, that we would see uh, your hand at work in our lives. Uh, Father, that we'll just be able to, to, to honor you and glorify you in our obedience. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.